1: Hello, I'm Mark Riley, And I'm Rob Hughes. And you're listening to the A to Z of David Bowie, the greatest rock and roll star in the world,
0: ever, ever. H is for Heathen. Now then, Bowie's 22nd studio album, released on the 11th of June, 2002. This is the album that marked the return of record producer Tony Visconti to the Bowie fold, of course. The last album they'd worked on previous to this was Scary Monsters, so we're going way back. Yeah, 1980. So on
1: the reunion Bowie said I've actually been talking to Tony about recording this album for, it's got to be nearly 4 years now, but it never really felt right for me to do. I was dead scared in my own mind that we might try to recreate what we've been doing in the late 70s early 80s. I didn't want to copy anything we'd done. I really didn't want to tarnish the work we'd done before because it was so good. So it was really waiting till I found the right songs for the two of us to do together that didn't require engineering the past or mining it for particular Particular kind of sounds or whatever.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Bowie admitting to being quite vulnerable about that, you know, yeah, yeah. bringing him back. So clearly he had his reservations about this, but they proved to be uh, ill founded because it's such a great album. Also, the first album since Tin Machine to not include guitar player Reeves Gabrels. Mm. Uh, originally, Bowie had recorded the album Toy for release in 2000 or maybe 2001. The album was meant to feature some songs and remakes of some of his uh, lesser known tunes from the 60s, but the story goes that the record company didn't think it was strong enough and pulled it. Uh, sketchy details sort of emerged later, didn't they? It did surface a few years back. A few people had a copy of it. You've got one, Mark. Mm. Uh, but those who did obviously were to be trusted, apart from one, and that's all it takes. So it did eventually make it into the marketplace. It
1: did, I remember. I think it tipped up on eBay. Other bays are available. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there was a shudders all around, really, because it shouldn't have happened. But anyway, these things do, don't they? It's almost inevitable, I suppose. Mm. Uh, a few of its tracks, including Afraid and Slip Away, then titled Uncle Floyd, did eventually appear on the next album here. Even. and uh, the album features guest appearances from the Who guitarist Pete Townsend who play guitar on the uh, Bowie track Because You're Young from Scary Monsters Food Fighters frontman Dave Grohl Dream Theatre keyboardist Jordan Rudess Pianist Christine Young, who yeah. uh, was uh, 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 Tony Visconti squeeze for a while, I think I'm yeah. right saying, and bassist Tony Levin, who worked with King Crimson and Peter Gabriel and Lou Reed, all manner of people.
0: Yeah, now according to uh, Wikipedia, the song I Took a Trip on a Gemini Spaceship contains the lowest note Bowie's ever sung on an album more of which later. Mm, you okay. know, the track, not the low note of course. Some biographers and critics claim that Heathen deals with Bowie's impressions of the uh, 11th of September attacks.
1: Yeah, uh, the, so the lyrics are songs like Slow Burn, Afraid, A Better Future and Heathen, The Rays, uh, focused on the woes of the world and obviously being
0: a New York resident, the 9-11 attack would be like literally yeah. very close to home for him. Yeah, having said that, Bowie denied that any of the album's songs were written after September 2001, although he did admit that songs deal with a general feeling of anxiety that he'd had in America for a number of years adding it's not unlikely that you're going to have a sense of angst in anything that's recorded in New York or by New Yorkers.
1: Yeah he also said in 2003 in an interview it was written as a deeply questioning album of course it had one foot aside the awful event in September so that was quite traumatic an album to finish. It did affect me September the 11th and my family very much.
0: We lived down there Yeah, of course. I'm explaining uh, the reason behind the uh, title. He said in an interview in 2002 that it referred to what 21st century man might become if he's not already. Someone who's not even searching for a spiritual life anymore. Someone who's existing on a completely materialistic plane. But using the word heathen is less preachy than explaining all of that. Of course it is. Because if you wrote all that on an album cover, nobody would buy that, would they, Mark? (laughs) Yeah, no, that was a great
1: quote from Bowie. It's a great interview, actually, that I found online. Uh, Cover versions within. uh, Cactus by the Pixies. Yeah. Uh, which features Bowie on all the instruments, ap- uh, apart from the bass guitar, apparently. And he's only recorded drum performance. So having said oh. that, there is a story that we've been to before. Uh, Vic Goddard of the Subway sect, legendary. Mm. He did tell me that he waited outside uh, whilst Bowie was recording uh, Diamond Dogs. Yeah. Uh, he waited outside the studio and Bowie came out and he said, oh, you know, yeah, I've been working on a song called Rebel Rebel. Wow. And I've been doing drums all day. So right. whether he
0: just did the guide drums for yeah. it and, 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 and somebody else took over, I right. don't know. But uh, yeah, probably right. Okay other cover versions I've Been Waiting for You by Neil Young which had also been recorded by the Pixies as a B-side of uh, Valoria earlier on and I took a trip on a Gemini spaceship as mentioned before by Norman O'Dam who is better known as the legendary Stardust Cowboy from, of course, Bowie lifting that part of it for uh, Ziggy Stardust in 72. And, of course, Norman will be getting his own section later in the podcast series. He will,
1: yeah. So, uh, Bowie's thoughts on the finished product. He said, I now think this might be one of the better albums I've done. Oh, what's a cliche? (laughs) The best album he's done since
0: Scary Monsters. Well, I don't know about that, but it's a really good album. Yeah, worldwide it sold more than 2 million copies uh, and it was on the uh, UK charts for four months. This is interesting. Bowie talking about his own singing around the same time. He said, I hate my singing voice. I hate singing, really full stop it's not an enjoyment I mean somebody's got to do it yeah, the quote gets even better, Bob. Yeah, I would give my right arm, or maybe not my right arm, I'd give somebody's right arm if I could find somebody to sing all my songs for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, John Lennon hated his own voice as well, Did didn't he? Did he really? really, Did really he really just couldn't stand his own voice at all. I mean, you know, most people don't like listening back to themselves. That's why we've never heard any Bo. of these podcasts, have we, Bob? <laughs> we can't stand it, can we? Absolutely. Uh, but Slip Away, uh, as we've mentioned before, reference to Uncle Floyd. Now, Uncle Floyd was actually a track on Toy, mm. I mentioned that. Uh, so uh, this is what Bowie said. That's actually one of my favourite songs on the album. In the late 70s, there was a character on New York television, obviously in New Jersey or somewhere, and it was this guy called Uncle Floyd. I think he operated out of his living room, and all his mates up and down the block would come in and bring the guitars and funny noses, and it's supposed to be a children's show, and it was just hysterical. He was halfway between Soupy Sales and Pee Wee Herman. He was the missing link, Soupy Sales being obviously the dad of the Sales brother, yeah. who ended up playing in Tin Machine and with Iggy Pop, mm. uh, but he also said uh, me and everybody I knew at that time would rush home at five o'clock in the afternoon to make sure we didn't miss the Uncle Floyd show and we'd be just on the floor. There were so many innuendos and double entendres. It was just the most wonderful show. So this is so
0: intriguing, isn't it? And to people who live in the UK, that's just such, it's a foreign idea. What, what is this show? Yeah. So, of course, we go to Wikipedia to have a quick look. Uh, the Uncle Floyd show aired in the New Jersey and New York market from 74 to 98. That is a long-running show. It is. It can be read as a children's show or a parody of a children's show. Much of the humour has a twist aimed at adults in the style of Super Sales and Pee Wee Herman, as I mentioned before. The show featured character comedy, puppetry, some audience participation, musical guests, and Floyd's piano playing. One of Floyd's puppet sidekicks, actually a ventriloquist figure, was named Oogie. It's on interaction with off-camera staff and sidekicks is somewhat in the style of what Howard, uh, Howard Stern and Chelsea Handler would later do.
1: Yeah, and other bands played on there as well. So we had the Smithereens and the Shades and the Ramones, Tiny Tim, wow. Bon Jovi, Jack- Shannon Dean, Peter Talk, Squeeze,
0: David Johansson, Blue Oyster Cult, Cindy Lauper. They all appeared on the programme. Right. Bowie talking about taking the Heathen out onto the road. He said, I think it'll uh, translate very well on stage. I'm really excited about making it a stage album. I'm fully prepared to bore the pants of anybody who cares to listen.
1: Yeah, and so, I mean, it was the heathen tour that uh, Mark Ratcliffe and I introduced Bowie on stage at the uh, Lancashire uh, County Cricket Ground. Wow, OK. And, uh, and it was pouring down with rain all day, and it did stop when Bowie came on. Uh, but we introduced the other bands on the day, Divine Comedy and Suede, but they made a massive error in giving Mark Ratcliffe and I a dressing room, which is where they stored all the beer. Is that right? So uh, well, you can see what happens next. Mm-hmm. And so we did, we got drunk, and also um, the Manchester Evening News had asked us for an interview, and the Manchester Evening News never, ever really bothered about Radcliffe and I when we were on Radio 1, and so we didn't do it. Uh, so all of the links, inexplicably, were about the Manchester Evening News, so we'd go on and we'd be does anybody here like the Manchester Evening News? I only buy it on uh, uh, Friday because it's only ten pence. <laughs>
0: right, OK. And that
1: was the theme for every single link be- mm. before every band, which is pretty shameful. When you think you're, you are leading up to introducing your idol, the greatest rock and roll star in the world ever, and you're drunk, and, yeah, you're talking about the Manchester Evening News wow. constantly. Um, so, uh, not very good either.
0: So uh, do you remember how you introduced Bowie?
1: Was that with an Evening News link? Well, do you know what? It transpired that he was uh, very clever. We know this. But mm. uh, and I did introduce him. But then there was an, a, uh, about a minute or two minute intro tape that we were, in effect, introducing. So there was a build-up and there was a buffer between our inanity, if that's a proper word, and Bowie's, you know, spectacular entrance. And he also uh, saw him doing Heathen and Low together at the Royal Festival Hall. Uh, and there's a shot, I can see oh. it from here uh, so it's Davy Bowie, you can see it from the back, it's taken yep. by Mark Adams total blam blam from mm. davybowie.com and it shows the back of Bowie, where he's got a keyboard behind him, but in front of him you've got the whole of the uh, Royal Festival Hall laid out empty, completely empty, apart from one seat, which is me just sat there with P- bubbly Bowie thinking, what the hell is he doing here again? I <laughs> that, thought that, that restraining order not kicked in yet. Th- that is ridiculous, I mean, what a photo that is. Quite, it is, cl- it's just the most uh, amazing memory really uh, loads of celebrities turned up on the night, I I think Bono was there, but he kept out of the way. Uh, the singer at the Cardigans, Robert Smith of the Cure, was definitely there. There is a photograph of Robert Smith with Bowie, oh, yeah. and the, <laughs> I don't think you've ever seen it. But I'm in the background, trying to get out of the photograph. Oh, I mean, you know, you rather in. Than... Yeah, I'm not, it's the opposite of photo bombing. So, you, and I'm drinking it out of a can of lager, and you're thinking, this the, I, I, for all of my adult life and most of my childhood life, I would have been desperate to try and get into a photograph yeah. anywhere with David Bowie, even if it was in a cast of thousands. And I'm bending over out
0: of the way. It's just...
1: <laughs> Pathetic. Bowie must have seen him later and thought, oh, God, him again. <laughs> well, that, that's a beauty of digital photography, mate. Yeah. You can crop. Of course. Frank Skinner was there too, and he was rude to me. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hold up.
1: The A to
2: Z of David Bowie with Rob Hughes and Mark Riley.
0: H is for
1: Haddon Hall. So Haddon Hall was a sprawling Victorian villa in Beckenham, South London where Bowie famously lived with his wife Angie and his bandmates, most notably the fledgling spiders from Mars, well and hype, uh, from early August 1969 to 1972 So David and Angie moved in immediately after his father had died and so he was in a really, really bad
0: headspace Mm. and he was also in the thick of organising the free festival, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right So about the hall itself, it's been described as an imposing red brick Victorian villa, which took its name from the Decidedly more grandiose 12th century building Near Chesterfield in Derbyshire Yeah, when I googled uh, Haddon Hall Ah. This this castle came up You know, it's not quite a castle But I thought, (laughs) hang on a minute Really? I know he was quite grandiose, but uh, steady. Right, OK, I didn't realise that. The couple rented a ground floor flat for seven quid a week, to begin with anyway, alongside Tony Visconti and his girlfriend Liz Hartley. And there was a large central hall with rooms sort of running off it and a large oak staircase. The upper floor was rented out to different tenants who gained access through side doors. So when Mick, Woody and Trevor moved in, the spiders, they lived on the first floor landing with the doors to these other rooms blocked off. It's a great image, that. And I wonder what the other tenants made of all this stuff going on, all these crazy hippie guys coming in with guitars. We're both going to read something from uh, Woody's book in a short while, which is called
1: uh, My Life with Bowie, Spiders from Mars, or Spider from Mars, uh, Woody Woodman, And there's some great stuff in there about Harden Hall, so we'll get to that. But uh, again, from uh, Kevin Kan's book Any Day Now. Gothic windows at the top of the stairs give the uh, interior a musty, museum-like atmosphere. A room at the rear of the house houses a battered old grand piano, a gift from a friendly neighbour, which David often used when writing songs. This overlooks a veranda and a large back garden. It has a listed woodshed in the back garden... That burnt down. A couple called Sue and Tony Frost lived in the basement, which Tony Visconti would eventually turn into a studio. Yeah,
0: it goes on to say, the Bowies inherited uh, David's mum's dog, who recently breathed, moved from her house to a flat. It had its own ghost, uh, Mrs Grey. Tony Visconti, here we go, Tony Visconti and ghosts again. Uh, Tony Visconti said he regularly saw her floating around in a white shroud. In April 1970, Woody quits his job in Hull, heads up to meet Mick Ronson, and for the first time, of course, Bowie.
1: So, Woody Woodmansey remembers when he knocked on Bowie's door. He answered it clothed in a rainbow T-shirt, bright red corduroy trousers, bangles on, and some slip-on shoes that he'd obviously dyed blue and put red stars on each one. And compared to Woody's long hair and a denim attire, it was all a bit of a culture shock. I thought maybe everybody dressed like that in London, but it turned out they didn't, Woody laughs. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I right. mean, that, that was the, the initial culture shock going to. So coming from Driffield where Woody came from, yeah. and just, you know, thinking about settling down and getting a job and all that kind of stuff. Going to London and then seeing this big sprawling house yeah. and then being opened by the vision of
0: Davey Bowie and all this clobber. Yeah, wearing slip ons. I love it. So uh, talking about Haddon Hall and his book Spider from Mars, Woody says this, he said it was like an open plan commune-type place, but it had a modern edge to it. There'd be Vogue magazines, which you probably didn't get in a hippie commune, and arty magazines and films, and you'd have Mark Bolan walking through one day, and Arthur Brown, lots of different artists, would drop in for a chat. Bowie would be writing in one room with his guitar, and he'd have a piano in another room, then he'd shout, Woody! I've just finished one, come and have a listen. <laughs> oh, so,
1: now uh, this is where the hype came into being as well, and they were all sleeping in the same house, eating together, rehearsing, with hardly any money between them. Again, we'll get to that in Woody's book in a bit, but they were the gang, weren't they?
0: Uh, in fact, let's get to Woody's book now. So this is a passage from Woody's book. It says After dinner, Bowie showed me around. Haddon Hall was divided into eight flats. He rented most of the ground floor and he had the main entrance as part of his flat so the entire building looked like it was his when he did photo shoots and so on there. You walked through the front door and there was a little kitchen on the left a bathroom on the right and then the main living room in front of you. At the other end of the room, a huge staircase led up to a stained glass window on the landing where the doors to the other flats had originally been. It looked exactly like the massive staircase at Tara in Gone With The Wind. I love that right. analogy. Yeah. At the top, there was an area on the other side of the banisters where Mick and I shared a mattress. Tony and Liz had a room downstairs. Bowie and Angie also had their room downstairs, and there was a lounge. The other person living there was Roger Fry, an Australian who was Bowie's driver and roadie. He had a mattress under the stairs. You must have been quite, you know keen to live there, wouldn't you, for a mattress under the stairs? Yeah, it it
1: doesn't sound very alluring, does it? Not at
0: all. He said the flat was sparsely furnished, perhaps because the Bowies, Visconti and Liz had only moved into it the previous December. There was nothing but a chest in the hall and a bed and some drawers in Bowie's room, the ceiling of which he'd sprayed silver. He'd also bought a really nice antique dining table and chairs which he'd painted red, adding gold to the carved details. The first time we sat down to dinner at the table, I noticed how artistic it looked. This was to be my home for the next year and a off. It's
1: great. I mean, you know, and if you've ever if you've ever been lucky enough to meet Woody Woodman, so you can you can read this book in his voice, and uh, and it's it's just so
0: naturally written, uh, and it's a, it's a must book for anybody. There's another great paragraph in there as well. Shortly, so you know, in various Bowie books, there are lots of great photos in and around Haddon Hall. It just looks the most majestic place, doesn't it? Not least the ones of uh, David, Angie, and the newly born Duncan. Yeah, great. Bowie at the grand piano, another one on the grand staircase with the enormous window behind him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just looks so uh, so brilliant. I mean, that's the thing,
1: I think, maybe again from Woody's book, we'll quote it again in a short while, but it looked like Bowie lived in this uh, this massive almost country pile, but he only had a certain part of it, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, let's move now to Saturday the 5th of May, 1973, just with his fame catapulting him to stardom, and he'd been on tour for, like, most of the last 18 months. They had to leave Haddon Hall. Now, this is kind of uh, predictable really. Mm. They hold a party at Haddon Hull, Lindsay Kent, Mick Ronson, George and Bridget Underwood, Freddie Barretti, Susie Fussy, Ken Scott and Charles Shaw Murray from the Enemy, all invited.
0: Yeah and the party marks the final gathering at Haddon Hall and the end of his life in this area of England. So the ground floor is besieged by fans on a daily basis obstructing the driveway and peering through uh, David and Angie's window. Well you'd want to do that wouldn't you if you were a fan? You would you know and I have been in
1: touch I got in touch with boy George yeah. uh, just via Twitter and, uh, and I asked him I, I I've got it in my mind that Boy George was one of the people who used to tip up regularly and hang around outside David Bowie's yeah. house. I could be wrong. I know that Slaughter and the Dogs used to do it, the uh, the punk band from Withenshaw,
0: because they were mad on Bowie. Well, they'd go around and knock on Ken Pitt's door as well, didn't they, later on? Yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, they were really devoted to Bowie, and uh, so I know that they did, uh, but I just asked uh, Boy George if uh, he would give us some words about the atmosphere hanging around outside Haddon Hall, if indeed he did. Right. Okay. Uh, but he, he didn't get back, and if he does, then I'll crowbar it into something a little bit further down the line. Okay. Uh, but let's go back to Woody's book because it's great. Okay, here we go. Bowie and Angie were obviously used to a slightly more luxurious level of living than Mick and I were, especially when it came to food. This became slightly irritating within a few weeks of my arrival. We'd put our money into the kitty, and they'd spend it all on a single meal. So we'd have all to eat for the rest of the week. For instance, they'd buy luxury food items, sometimes just enough for one meal, and then we'd ask <laughs> where the potatoes were, and there weren't any, because they hadn't bought any. In retrospect, they weren't really cut out for running the house. When the food Ran out, and you would complain. You get nothing for your money these days. <laughs> I'd say, I oh, know there's not even any potatoes. We'd eat toast and whatever else we could scrape together, and no one starred, But when you got five hungry people in a household. Arguments are inevitable. One day, Tony, Mick and I had a massive row with Bowie and Angie and we ended up saying, we'll buy the flipping food, I am paraphrasing, but then Angie would try to cook what we'd bought and she'd burn it. She was a shit cook. (laughs) Perhaps that's why (laughs) Bowie was so thin. He never cooked and rarely ate. After a while, Mick and I decided to make meals for ourselves and leave them to it. Oh, that's brilliant. There's an insight for (laughs) you.
0: That is insight. That's just fantastic, isn't it? But Haddon Hall was uh, demolished in 1981. It was incidentally, we should probably just mention that in 2012, a guy called Najib brought out a book uh, called Haddon Hall when David invented Bowie, which came out in the English language in 2017. And it's just a really charming, illustrated account of Bowie's early years there, you know, pre-Ziggy, of course. It's really
1: sweet. It's really sweet. And it does finish off, I'm not going to spoil it like the end of a film, oh. but it, it's actually when he turns into Ziggy Starrist yeah. and everybody's like... <gasps> and, um, yeah, so Haddon Hall demolished 1981. And I can also add at this point in time, we mention him often enough. Um, Kevin can, yeah, uh, and, uh, and and I was told just a couple of days ago that Kevin can just coincidentally took a trip out to uh, Haddon Hall whilst it was being demolished. He didn't know it was being demolished, right. as I understand it. Yeah, and uh, and and the, yeah, they were in there just wrecking the place, and he saw what he recognised to be a a large wooden um, ball probably from the staircase, I would imagine, from the uh, the, the setup mm. of the stairs. And uh, and he said to the builder, would you mind if I took that away with me? No, you're right, mate, take it. And so he, he's taken it away and has, and has got it. Right, really? Well, and also okay. when Bowie, Bowie went round to his flat with Brian Eno, yeah. several years later, Kevin Khan handed it to him and said, do you recognise that? And he just went,
0: Haddon Hall. Oh, wow, how fantastic. I wonder what happened to that incredible stained-glass window. I'm guessing it just got smashed to pieces. It probably ended up in a skip.
2: The A to Z
1: of David Bowie, with Mark Riley and Rob Hughes.
0: So, H is also for Hype. Indeed, Hype was a band formed by David Bowie in 1970, originally called Harry the Butcher, and then uh, David Bowie's Imagination. Yeah. Okay. Bowie's settled on the name Hype. Bowie said he chose the name, but tongue-in-cheek, as he'd imagine. you know, the band has been credited with helping to form the whole glam rock scene in the very early, se- well, in 1970. Yeah, we discussed the gig, yeah. gig at the Roundhouse and Mark Bolan and the uh, Roman uh, breastplate
1: and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So the members Davey Bowie, Mick Ronson, Tony Visconti, John Cambridge, Mick Woody
0: Woodmansey for a while, and Benny Marshall, vocals and harmonica from November 1970. That just reminds me, I have dug out this morning, that photo that John Cambridge sent me, you know, he he was cowboy man, wasn't he? Uh, of him with his little cowboy hat still intact. I need to see that photo. Yeah. Can we tweet that? Yeah. Well, well, I'll ask John. Right. All right. So uh, let's get to a timeline. Put a time on this. February the fifth, nineteen seventy. John Peel's the Sunday show on the BBC Radio One. Hype made their on-air debut radio broadcast after a short Bowie solo spot. They did an embryonic version of Width of a Circle, followed by Janine, Wild-eyed Boy from Free Cloud, Unwashed, th- somewhat slightly dazed, Fill Your Heart, and Waiting for the Man, Prettiest Star. Signet Committee. Memory of a free festival later that same month, hype signed to Mercury Records. Mm. So,
1: 13th of February 1917, Mick Ronson resigns his post as gardener and groundsman with Hull's Municipal Parks Department. Mm. And at that point in time, he'd been busy relaying some school football pitches. Oh. So, uh, Bowie with Angie, Tony Visconti, and Visconti's girlfriend, Liz Hartley, drive to Hull to discuss musical ideas. And it was on this trip, actually, uh, quite an important moment for Bowie. He met Stewie George, mm. who had worked with the Rats. Now, Stewie George became omnipresent, and uh, he was around Bowie all the time. as his minder
0: from Ziggy and Ladin St. Horst and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. 22nd of February 1970 marked the debut of Mick Ronson on guitar when they played at the Roundhouse, promoted by the ubiquitous Jeff Dexter, also on the same bill, the Groundhog's Caravan. And back Denkle. Never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> the first performance was badly received. The band was laughed at, jeered at as they left the stage, which I can't believe. Well, I can believe actually. Well, we've seen the clubber. Huh?
1: Yeah. I mean they, they they tried, didn't they? But it just it wasn't it wasn't great. Yeah. They, no. they had no money, they just no, had no. their imagination, but it, it wasn't it wasn't a real wow moment. I don't No, think.
0: it wasn't. But at least as you say, they were trying. Of course, yeah. these days, you know, bragging rights to the jeer as we'll be bound to We're one of those gigs. I was there, I was yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of those.
1: So twenty-eighth of February. Basildon Arts Lab where the band had been trailed as Davy Bowie's new electric band in the Melody Maker and they tipped
0: up in their newly acquired transit oh, van. Oh wow. 1st of March 1970 the gig at Beckenham Arts Lab more gigs follow after this including the University of Hull which is of a huge homecoming show of course with Rono and John Cambridge.
1: Yeah 11th of March big show once again at the Roundhouse now this was the previously discussed night yeah. glam rock was invented all that stuff quintessence on the bill Kevin Ayers and the whole world with Mike Oldfield probably around about 16 years old on bass guitar. Mm. Uh, Hawkwind, the third year band, Graham Bond organisation and Genesis. And you've
0: spoken to um, uh, Tony Banks yeah. about that, haven't you? Yeah, he was really impressed with Bowie that night. Yeah. Jump so, forward to the 6th of April here. Drummer John Cambridge is gone. Uh, Woody is in. So more hype gigs follow after that. But by July 1970, the band's name starts to disappear from gig billings and just David Bowie is advertised. OK, so they fizzled out. Rather than just, you know, going out with a huge bang, they just fizzled.
1: Yeah, and so this is from Melody Maker, the 28th of March 1970, by Raymond Telford, Hype and David Bowie's Future. Hype has been kindly defined by a wise friend as being 90% hyperbole and 10% hypocrisy. With that clearly in mind, who would ever think of giving the title to their own group? David Bowie would and has, partly as a protest against the pretentiousness and insincerity of some quarters of the music business. I explained David last week over the almost overwhelming din
0: of a lunchtime alehouse. Oh, here we go. I deliberately chose the name in favour of something that sounded perhaps heavy because now no-one can say they're being conned. Especially nowadays, there's a lot of narrow-mindedness amongst groups or at least behind the organisers who claim to be presenting free music for free people but I don't see how they can because they're so hypocritical in everything else. I suppose you could say I chose hype deliberately with tongue-in-cheek. OK, then he said, uh, so what does the
1: future hold for this new release? with Hype. He said, I think a lot of people are expecting another Space Oddity, said David, and Pretty Star is not it. I'm sure this is why the BBC aren't plugging it. Everyone wanted another song with the same feel as Space Oddity, but as I've done it, I don't see the point in doing it again.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that was a typo in Melody Maker, like Prettier Star, or, or Pretty Star as opposed to Prettier. I don't you know?
1: know, maybe it was an early title for it.
0: Yeah, the conversation then swung once more to the intriguing concept of Hype. He said, I'm very happy with the band, says David. I have Tony Visconti, who's played bass on nearly all my records. John Cambridge used to be with Junior's Eyes and Mick Ronson on guitar and I play 12 string guitar. He said, "Although we're happy with the setup, I can't see it becoming a
1: really permanent thing. Uh-uh. Mm. I want to retain hype and myself as two separate
0: working units, whereby we can retain our own identities." Yeah. Okay. The the gigs we've done, he explained, so far have gone better than I expected. We played the Roundhouse recently, and it was great. The Roundhouse audiences seem to be something apart from the usual blasé London audiences. Yeah. He's building his part
1: up. Definitely here. here. He said, uh, "We've had these costumes made by various girlfriends, which make us look like Doctor Strange or the Incredible Hulk." I was a bit apprehensive about wearing them at the roundhouse gig because I didn't know how the audience would react. If they think it's a huge put-on, the whole thing will backfire. But they seem to accept it, which
0: was nice. Yeah, nice to be nice. The best audiences I know of are up north, where they really appreciate you. In London, the audiences are very aware that they're living in the place where it's all supposed to be happening. So inevitably, they have this cool attitude. They'll try and sell you anything repair trousers to your own car. Ouch.
2: The A to Z of David Bowie was
1: written and presented by Rob Hughes and Mark Riley, and recorded and edited by Howard Nock. If you'd like to review or rate this podcast, well, that will be much appreciated. In the next episode, John Hutchinson, Hermione Farthingale, Ralph Horton, Ours.